Good evening, patriots. This is Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about returning to normal. I'll have an update on the Marionette Miller Meeks saga. And we'll finish up with a piece on how the Democrats are close to controlling all of our media. Next on Living with Liberty. Friends, if you are waiting for the government to grant their blessing on returning to normal, I'm afraid you'll be waiting for quite a while. We have been so quick to give them control in the name of public protection that these bureaucrats and politicians will not relinquish their emergency powers. They continue to move the goalposts on returning to normal life day after day. First, it was two weeks to flatten the curve. Then that turned into months of lockdowns. We're now at the point where many school districts are still doing remote learning and putting up a fight on returning kids to the classroom, with some being as ridiculous as returning them in May or a couple weeks before the end of the school year. Now we've got uh, Anthony Fauci pontificating on mask wearing into 2022 all of a sudden. And let's say if he were successful in getting his way on that, I would see it as a safe bet that we would hear him then in 2022 calling for mask wearing in 2023. We need to return our lives to normal, and we, the people, need to be the ones that do it. At this point, our elected overlords and their bureaucrat cronies are enjoying the ride of what seems to be unlimited power to squash the rights of citizens. I do see glimmers of hope, however. I've been in the local Walmart here during some of the busiest weekend shopping hours, and there's about a 60-40 split on mask wearing, with that 60% saying we've had enough with the face diapers, we're not wearing them anymore. Guess what? Nobody says a word. No one, not not, uh, even the Walmart employees that used to ask as you walked in the door or even asking people to put a mask on anymore. We need more of this type of action. We need more of the mass civil disobedience. Uh, Just saying we're not going to take this anymore. We're not doing the mass. We're not doing the social distancing. We're going into restaurants and loading them up as, as we please and as we see fit and as we feel comfortable with the risks of doing so. It's we the people that decide. Not the unaccountable bureaucrats, not governors who continue to rule through illegal executive orders and mandates. We have lost, by some measure, that American spirit. It's that spirit of civil disobedience to show that we will not tolerate subjugation to a tyrannical government. Now, I'm going to link in the description box an op-ed from the Holland Sentinel in Michigan. It's titled, My Take, Marlena is No Hero by Frank Bearfield. Now, Marlena Pavlos Hackney had been operating her restaurant in defiance of the Wicked Witch of the Midwest, Gretchen Whitmer. Her orders, uh, you know, that have been restricting the operations and capacities of restaurants. Now, you may recognize the name if you're watching, if you watch Tucker Carlson. He had Marlena on a a few nights ago uh, to go and talk with her about her plight in all of this. Now, 
Bearfield states that he had received letters defending Marlena uh, as far as her keeping her business open. And those letters are pointing to her having a constitutional right to do so. Now, if you read the article, it's uh, Bearfield takes the easy way out here. His rebuttal being that the government has authority to do many things, not specifically spelled out in the Constitution. And then he brings up the Michigan Vehicle Code governing stop signs, and then equates the fact that stop signs are not mentioned in the Constitution, yet must be followed. Well, hold on here, Mr. Bearfield. Stop signs wouldn't be mentioned in the Constitution because they would be left to local govern governance under uh you know, the 10th Amendment governing states' rights, which then rolls down to your local governance. So, of course, the Constitution isn't going to mention something as local as a stop sign. The Constitution is a governing uh, document by which our rights as citizens are protected, and it spells out what rights we have as citizens and what recourse we have against a tyrannical government. It gives us the tools to push back and be uh, you know, a government, a country that is ruled by the citizens. Now, if you include with that the Declaration of Independence, which states we all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you start to have a case here for Marlena being able to keep her restaurant open under, uh, you know, constitutionally guaranteed rights. Now, you'd also could throw stop signs in there as as I look at it, stop signs do aid also in that right to life and happiness. You run a stop sign, you could end up dead, or you could end up you know, seriously injured. You could end up paralyzed for the rest of your life. Both of those would, to me, fall under the right to life and happiness. Now, also, you could make a case that um, Marlena's constitutional rights are indeed being infringed. You know, the First Amendment certainly fits the bill here uh, with these restaurant restrictions in terms of how many people can be in a restaurant any, at any given time. I think that's certainly that type of mandate. It's not even a law. It's a mandate. This is ha handed down by a bureaucracy or a governor. It's not the legislature putting in place a law that says restaurants can only be X amount of uh, people in terms of capacity. It's an unenforceable mandate, which, as I look at it, is in violation of the First Amendment. You know, this is certainly infringing on the right to assemble. I would also point to the 14th Amendment here in Section 1. It states that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of the law. Now, to apply that contextually to what we have seen here with Marlena, and among other places, you know, quite honestly, just about everywhere, I'd say, or uh, not every, I guess that's a absolute, I hate absolutes, but a number of places, let's say, you know, has have we seen any legislature pass a law restricting residents or really anything in related to what we've seen in terms of uh, the lockdowns or mask mandates, mask requirements, anything like that from any legislature passing a law. 
not to my knowledge. Are there any out there? I haven't heard of any. If you if you uh, know of any, you know, feel free to correct me on that one. But as I've looked through, I've not seen a legislature yet in any state pass a law saying, you know, unending lockdowns, mask mandates, restaurant capacity restrictions. I haven't seen one. Now, these all edicts have all come down from governors and health departments. What have we uh, what have we run into here with the legislatures is they've really punted some of their responsibilities to bureaucracies, in this case, health departments. As I view it, and I actually last year called my legislature uh, legislators in the state sem- uh, assembly and state senate here in Wisconsin and let them know that the way these statutes are written and how they've punted responsibility to these Health departments is in violation of the First Amendment. And it's in violation, really, of our state government and how it's set up in that the legislature makes laws. We, we should not be seeing any laws, any mandates, anything handed down through executive order or otherwise from governors or uh, bureaucracies that we, the people, sh- you know, should be, uh, you know, should be held to account under. There should be none of that because it's not a law. We've only entrusted the legislature, the legislative branch of our government, whether it's federal or uh, state, to make the laws on our behalf. They are our representatives as the people, not a an unelected bureaucrat. And yes, we elect the governor, but his job or her job is to uh, really execute the laws. It's not to make laws. So the state statues here in not only Wisconsin, but, you know, I'm, I, as I went through this uh, story on Marlena in Michigan, it seems in Michigan as well, and I'm sure many other places, it, it's granted power that shouldn't be granted to bureaucracies like health, health departments and all these fly in the face of the Constitution. If the Constitution, by way of the supremacy, supremacy clause, excuse me, is the supreme law of the land, then any statute, ordinance, or mandate restricting any constitutionally protected right should be null and void and ignored by the people. Now, Bearfield, in his op-ed, brings up Michigan's public health code statute, which states, and I quote, if the director determines that control of an epidemic is necessary to protect the public health, the director, by emergency order, may prohibit the gathering of people for any purpose and may establish procedures to be followed during the epidemic to ensure the continuation of essential public health services and enforcement of health laws. Now, I'm going to turn this around on Mr. Bearfield here a bit. And ask him, and I'd ask him, I don't know if he'll listen to this or not or get wind of it, but I'd ask him, where in the Constitution does it say our rights are to be suspended in the event of an epidemic or pandemic or any other emergency for that matter? I'll wait while he digs that information up out of the Constitution. Now, Mr. Bearfield will be digging for quite a while because it doesn't exist. At what point do we stand up and say this violates our First Amendment right? All these uh, 
restaurant restrictions and other restrictions on, on gathering. The constitutional guarantee of that doesn't rest because of a virus. No, yes, I get it. There are other times where we might need to invoke because of some national emergency, some sort of lockdown, but that's what things like the uh, Insurrection Act and martial law are for. And even in those cases, um, there's a bit of a danger there, even in those cases of not relinquishing that emergency power, but there, there are clauses within the, those um, that do return us to a constitutional uh, republic at some, some point. Um, there's nothing in the Constitution, just like there's no uh, topic of stop signs in the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution either that says our rights are suspended because of a virus. Now, what we've done here and and what we've allowed our legislators to do is grant these bureaucracies too much authority. And we've done it without actually understanding what power we've given them, what power we've allowed to be granted to them, and what the impact has been to our constitutional rights. Now, I think there's been a lot of learning about this, about what uh, these bureaucracies, what power they actually have. I know in Wisconsin here, there are some uh, bills circulating within our legislature to drastically reduce not only the bureaucracy's uh, emergency powers, but the governor's as well. Now, I know it's, uh, it's mostly symbolic at this point. Unfortunately, we are about a vote short of supermajorities in both our chambers, as we know right now, if we were to if they were to send that, uh, our legislature were to send that uh, those bills to the governor, that there's, you know, they're dead on arrival. But, uh, you know, at least our legislature here is doing something, uh, getting these bills drafted. Hopefully, the next time around, you know, we'll tuck those in the back pocket and then we flip the governor's seat here and we get those signed into law. We we need to reduce the power that governors and bureaucracies have. So we're Doing, we're taking some action here. I would encourage it's my, I guess, uh, my little uh, plug for, um, you know, some more action to take and, and things to pester your elected officials in your state about. But find out if they're if they've learned from this and are taking action and steps to ensure that there's not too much power being um, centralized with a bureaucracy or within the governor's chair. Now, kind of back back to the topic, a little off topic. There, let's get back on topic. So. So I look at this, and in my view, Marlena was exercising at least her First Amendment right to peacefully assemble. To me, this was an act of civil disobedience. I am going to keep my restaurant open. This is my pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. This is the way I make my living, and no tyrannical governor or government or bureaucracy is going to tell me how to do or what to do. This is the only way that we're going to start chipping away at the tyrants and their grip on on power. We have to engage in civil disobedience in in this manner, whether it be keeping your restaurant open, whether it be ditching the mask, whether it be gathering with more than whatever, three families or whatever it was in California. That's the way we're going to do this is we're just going to do it. Now, I suppose, though, 
as I look at this and think about the the op-ed that uh, Fairfield wrote here, it, it kind of leads me to wonder if if he would also have been one to admonish Dr. King's protest for civil rights or the protest for women's suffrage that went on, or even the Boston Tea Party. Kind of strikes me as someone that, well, the government told me to that I had to do this, so I'm going to do that and do it and have no uh, no regard for you know, anything like civil disobedience and getting things changed. Now we look at it, you know, Marlena here was taking action in in their quest to return to normal. I got a piece here from the American conservative that I'll link in the description box. It's titled begin returning to a normal life by Brian Jones. Now one point of the article is that fear is and continues to be the main driver in uh, in some places, uh, of their not returning to normal. And that it's that continued use of restricted non-pharmaceutical interventions, as Jones puts it, that continue to stoke the fear. More and more, I think, are waking up to the fact that this is dragging out unnecessarily. They're seeing the numbers. They know they're going down. They know Biden's little dog and pony show a week or two ago about wear the masks and his fake impassioned plea that someone wrote for him uh, was just that. It was just theater. Uh, Everybody realizes at this point that uh, cases have significantly dwindled and are dropping daily. And it's, you know, we've got a couple things going on there. The article gets into it more. Um, Just of it is, is, you know, it's a combination of, you know, we're probably reaching herd immunity and we've got Vaccines that are uh, that are reaching those that were most in need that would have never gained probably herd immunity. They were the biggest ones at risk. So, uh, you know, the, I, I suggest it's a, the article's a good read. I suggest you read it. Now, the thing that Jones notes in his piece is that all of the non-medical solutions uh, to stop the virus this far have had little effect on actually doing so. People have gotten sick. It's a virus. You're not going to defeat a virus. You know, and you look at the curves. If you look at the data, you go to the CDC website. All of the trend curves for cases look the same. Whether it's a state that had been highly restricted, a lot of lockdowns, a lot of restrictions on everything, or you look at the states that have had little to no restrictions, the curves look the same. You had a run-up. You had a lot of people that got sick. You had a lot of people test positive. I don't even want to say they got sick. Let's just say it was positives. And we can put that positives in quotes because uh, the way they ran the tests, look, they ran it so far to look for any little trace of virus. And we don't really know how many people were actually sick, actively sick, and how many may have been sick at one time and were carrying antibodies. We don't know. They, They try and make that as hard as possible for this reason, to keep stoking the fear so the government can keep their their emergency powers and try and continue to subjugate the people. The other thing Jones brings up here, and it's, it's a really good point, I think, in his piece, he states that the deeper question here is whether a truthful uh, account of human flourishing can merely be reduced to safety. Can we, as a society, move forward are we willing to tolerate the risks that are inherent in life? That That is, you know, my question here. 
are, are we willing in order to be a flourishing, healthy, vibrant society, are we willing to tolerate the risks to do that anymore? Or are we to the point where our media overlords and politicians have driven such a culture of fear and a, a false bravado, really, that they will defeat the virus if we just hold on and wait? That, you know, they're on it. We're, you know, us politicians and bureaucrats, we're going to you know, you know, we're going to defeat the virus. We just need you to stay home and put 18,000 masks on and, and don't talk to anybody. Don't look at anybody. Don't do anything. Just sit in your house while we defeat the virus. You know, have we gotten to that point where we, do we actually believe these clowns when they say they're defeat the virus? I mean, how we've, it seems like to a certain degree, we've gotten to that point that we believe this, that we're so afraid that we believe that the government's going to fix this. When, when does the government ever think about it? When's the government ever fixed anything? And we've gotten to the point where we believe this and we no longer want to venture out and interact with people. We don't want to take on the risks that make life worth living. Now you think about it every day we walk in our neighborhoods, we go, it's the weather's getting nice. We're uh, walking, doing more activities outside, running, jogging, walking, biking, whatever the case may be. Every time there's a risk in that. Every time we get behind the wheel of our car, there's a risk in that. Every time we fly, we take on risks of death in all of these situations. But you know what? We don't think twice about that. But now when faced with a virus that our media overlords and politicians who are just looking to grab power were faced with this virus and it's a 90 a greater than 99% survival rate. You know, we're told how bad this thing is and pounded with that message. We curl up in like little armadillos into our little ball, our little shell. And we refuse to truly assess the actual risk of the virus we fail to assess the likelihood of us contracting and subsequently dying from that virus. And you think about it, you look at it, you look at the studies, the likelihood of getting and dying from COVID is less than dying from some of the other activities I just mentioned. You have a better chance of getting hit by a bus. Well, I, I don't, there's no buses in my town, but if you live in a city with buses and you're walking everywhere, you've got a better chance of getting hit by a bus than you do of contracting and dying from COVID. You know, we have, we, we've just freely given away our liberty in the name of safety. We've traded freedom for safety. And honestly, it's a false safety. Nothing can protect us from every bad little thing that'll happen in life. The only way you can do that is if you hunker down in a bunker and have no contact with anything. And even then, there's no guarantees. We've gotten to the point where common sense is thrown out the window in terms of evaluating risk. And this is all driven by the overconsumption of media that perpetuates this fear-mongering. Now, I'll leave this segment uh, with one last line from Jones's article. It goes like this. The more we cling to safetyism, the more certain it is we will prevent ourselves from returning to the normal functioning of our common lives. 
totally 100% agree. Like I was saying before, it's up to us, we the people, to take back our normal way of life. If we wait for bureaucrats and government officials to grant that, they never will. It's all about power. I look at it like this. We are all adults. And as such, and high, you know, critical thinking adults, it's time to stop giving in to the unwanted, unwarranted, emotional fear-mongering of the media, of these politicians, of our fellow citizens, and look at the actual data for ourselves, and then decide on our own tolerance for the risk of living our lives based on what the data shows, and like I said, however we feel about it. We're in charge of our lives, not the government, not a bureaucrat. We are. Evaluate it for yourself. Now, the next uh, topic I have is a brief update on Marionette Miller-Meeks and uh, her saga, I guess you could call it, of Nancy Pelosi trying to steal her seat in in, uh, in the House of Representatives. Now, we have a little bit of a twist here. We have a moderate Democrat kind of speaking out about this. It's Lou Correa from California, of all places, questioning Pelosi's motivation behind wanting to unseat Miller Meeks. Correa asked what motivates Congress to look into what should be a state issue. Exactly. This is a state issue. And the state of Iowa certified this result, this election, with a bipartisan election commission, Republicans and Democrats on that commission, that voted unanimously to certify the election of Marionette Miller-Meeks as Iowa's House representative. One of them, I should say, anyway. This is a case of Rita Hart, the challenger and loser of this race, bypassing the state of Iowa's legal process because she knows no judge in Iowa is going to overturn this. You had a bipartisan commission unanimously vote to certify the election. She knows that any lawsuits, anything in Iowa is going nowhere. So Rita Hart goes groveling to Nancy for a sympathetic ear. Miller Meeks was a guest on the Sentinel call I attend every Monday night. And she said that, this could be a, a bit of a long haul as there's a lot of investigations and everything that else that goes on. And I think she threw a number of 60 to 70 days or even more to, to kind of get this completed and wrapped up. Now keep an eye on this and pressure your representatives, especially the Democrats in the house to not vote on overturning the seat. Remind them how politically painful that would be to overturn a seat certified unanimously by a bipartisan commission. Now we'll finish up with an Epic Times piece titled, Federal Judge Claims Democrats Are Close to Controlling All Major News Outlets. All right, so you're probably thinking, tell me something I don't already know. So hopefully I will. D.C. Circuit Court Judge Lawrence Silberman wrote in a recent opinion that uh, the Supreme Court case, New York Times versus Sullivan from 1964, needs to be overturned as it is a danger to democracy. Now, a little bit on this case. It was this case that determined that uh, in order for a libel suit to be successful, 
the complainant must be able to pr prove actual malice. That is, uh, with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. So basically, you had to willingly, willfully uh, be spreading fake news, basically, is what that's saying here. This ruling has been the protection of many media outlets against libel suits. Now, if you follow Project Veritas, you know how many retractions Veritas uh, has been able to extract from various media outlets due to James O'Keefe and his lawyers going after them for this libel and slanderous fake news that they pump out there. That right there should be a clear indicator that these media outlets aren't all that concerned with reporting the truth, but instead are only interested in, uh, in pushing a narrative. And that narrative is whatever the Democratic Party wants. The media are their useful idiots. And controlling the press does provide an advantage to Democrats, as noted by uh, Jim Grossclose in his 2011 book, Left Turn. Grossclose found that the media slant toward Democrats does aid them by 8 to 10 percent in a typical election. Now, if you think about that, 8 to 10% is actually a pretty big swing. You know, whether it's a race with a, uh, in a small district, let's call it, or with a low turnout, or if it's a race with a large turnout, 8 to 10% is enough to swing a race one way or the other, in this case with the media slant towards the Democrat. Then you get these types of calls that we've been seeing lately and hearing lately. You know, we, we didn't vote for this. Uh, We've been hearing that about the current clown show in the White House and all what Biden's been doing with executive orders and everything else. We keep hearing that we didn't vote for this. Well, you actually did. And if you would put down the New York slimes and turn off CNN every once in a while and check out some other media sites, you would have known exactly what Biden was up to, exactly what he was pushing out there and propagating out there. Biden is doing exactly what he said he would do. Open the borders up. We killed a bunch of jobs as we got rid of the pipeline. And guess what? Now we're on to pushing this uh, uh, legislation around of, of making the taxes go up significantly in some cases. Now, Silberman also writes in his uh, opinion that one-party control of the press and media may even give rise to countervailing extremism. <laughs> Absolutely correct. The more people feel like they aren't being heard, the more false narratives that are pushed out there and pushed in people's faces, especially now in this day and age with information literally at your fingertips, extremists and extremism is going to pop up. We see it all the time. I mean, you you look at the QAnon stuff. Some of that's bordering on, on extremism at this point. Uh, you look at some, some of the other talk out there of civil war and everything else. I mean, that that's extremism. That's This is the kind of things that push people to, to those ends. You know, the good news here is we, the people, still have the power to make or break these media outlets. They still rely on ad revenue and subscriptions, so it's the eyeballs that, that are the most important assets to these companies, these media companies. It's the, the interaction, the reading of the stories, the watching of, of their shows. 
If we turn away and continue to turn away from paying any attention to these outlets and their message, and we continue and do research of these things for ourselves and and then uh, you know, bring up the truth, bring up a counterpoint and and ask what about and have uh, uh, integrity, uh, integrity-filled journalists out there like James O'Keefe who are pushing back and on the offensive with these companies, uh, with these media companies, then they have no choice but to change since their very survival will depend on, uh, it depends on audience size. Now, I heard the other day, I saw the other day, CNN is down 45% in post-election viewership and they're losing more viewers every day. This is just one example of the power we have as consumers of media. In another example, we'll give another one here. And this a big drop in viewers uh, really leads to less ad revenue, less revenue for these companies. And just ask the NFL how many billions they lost this year, not only because of people not being in the, in the stands, but because of a loss of viewership. And the ads uh, and the advertisers and the networks coming back to them demanding a reduction in the ad rates. We are not powerless to stop this. We need to be informed and we need to be willing to cut uh, the, the, these media companies, the social media companies, the Facebooks, the Twitters. We need to be willing to cut them out of our lives and turn away and ignore them. If we don't, then it definitely will push us over the edge to a state-run media enterprise. That's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. I'm slowly but surely adding new content. Also, please subscribe to and leave a positive review of my podcast. It will help us move up the charts and help more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at livingwithliberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.